0: Does our gender, which we are born with, matter? Well, how does it matter? Well, today's verses that we're going to be looking at in 1 Corinthians speak to how they matter to God's people, how they matter to God's people and unto the Lord, specifically in the local church. Lord willing, next week we will look further at at these truths, but particularly we're going to continue to look at uniquely the the church. I'm going to pick up where I left off last week, thinking about how God's people uphold gender roles in the home and in the church as a display of God's character, as a display of Jesus Christ. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament because it's so foreign to us but I think but by God's grace we can really glean clear truths for our lives from this passage. I want to say from the outset we need to remember what kind of letter we are dealing with here. 1 Corinthians is a unique letter as you know. Paul was answering questions and responding to reports about this church. So when we read it, we enter into the middle of their conversation. We have Paul's answers. We do not have all of the questions that the Corinthians wrote to him. We don't have the questions they wrote to him about there. And so we don't have the full report. But what we do have is the apostolic doctrine applied. We have clear implications of the gospel explained. The current t- context is... In, um, as an entry, as is entering us now into a different part of the letter, of practical problems around corporate worship. You got to remember, as you read this letter, you see that they were a disaster in so many areas of life, and it just makes sense that there was messiness in the church gathering. Apparently, couples were coming to church gatherings in such a way that they dishonored the roles they had signed up for in marriage. People were playing favoritism against one another in their observance of the Lord's Supper. I'm not joking, uh, some were even getting drunk. Can you imagine? If you keep reading uh, 11 through 14, you'll discover they were out of sync in corporate worship with a desire to display themselves. Look at my gifts. Uh, they prioritized, as you might expect, self-expression more than edification. Edification. They forgot how to love as, 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 Paul, as Paul has shown them throughout this letter. This is a church full of members who love themselves. Paul has again and again showed them how to apply the gospel. That means he has taught them how to get their eyes on Jesus. Jesus. Applying the gospel means living life the way Jesus did in light of what he's done for us. One of love and self-sacrifice. One that benefits others, others, others spiritually. And doing all you can do. Yes, even in how you dress to draw attention and give glory to God. So if you take any lesson from 1 Corinthians, let it be this. Die to self. For the benefit of others. That's a good key lesson to take from 1 Corinthians. Die to self for the benefit of others. This is the way of Jesus. Paul expounds the wisdom of the cross. So last week, we saw how Paul encouraged them for their holding to sound doctrine, the apostolic tradition, chapter 11, verse 2, the teachings that he had passed on to them. They had the information. They had the doctrine. But what they were not doing a great job in was applying the doctrine. That's why applications and sermons should be done thoughtfully and tied to the text. Churches get out of whack. We looked at verse 3 for a while last week. Look at chapter 11, verse 3. Paul reminded them of authority structures in the home that were established to reflect God. Christ, God the Son who put on flesh, has authority over over everyone. The husband designed to mirror Christ is the established authority over the wife in the home, not because of strengths or gifts, but because of his assigned role to illustrate Christ. And that means he's to lead as Christ and has authority to give directives. And then finally there in verse 3, this headship is not about an equality thing, just to be clear. Christ, the incarnate God the Son, though equal with God, submitted himself to the Father. And this is the picture that Paul is going to call the women here to reflect. So I mentioned earlier Ephesians 5 is the husband picturing Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 is the wife's picturing of Christ. And I rejoice today with many of you because Jesus is the perfect authority figure. He calls imperfect men to model his example in marriage through dying to self. We also see how Jesus was the perfect submissive figure. And he calls imperfect women to model his example in marriage by dying to self. So when you have a wife and a husband in their roles, imaging Christ, you have a lot of selflessness in the home. They're both dying to self. So what does this have to do with 1 Corinthians 11 as we build further into this? Dying to self is what Paul has been teaching the church in this letter again and again. And he knows that when husbands and wives are not living this out privately at home, they sin against God. But just like a lot of our private sins, they move outward to public display and harm the testimony of Jesus Christ. I mean, as you read this letter, haven't we seen people in this letter take a wrong view of liberation often? My rights, my entitlements. Lawsuits, sexuality, eating at banquets, just to name three big ones. Paul's application theme in 1 Corinthians is not liberties, but sacrifice. That's the way of Christ. Christ. You deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him. Apparently, some thought there's no distinction among God's people in Christ. What I mean is they were rightly to understand that because there's no distinction among God's people in Christ, they were free to jettison their home distinctions and gender roles. So yes, everybody's equal at the cross, yes, but the Lord still has created design and authority in the home and in the church. So this is another area where they're misapplying theology. Perhaps, scholars know, perhaps they were reading those those notes perhaps in Colossians or Galatians about how we're all one in Christ and therefore just jettisoning their God-called and God-ordained roles at home. Again, it seems to be the case because they had a wrong view of liberty in many ways in this letter. The wrong view of liberty, liberty going on in homes and, and it's going on, and it bled into the church. And one of the most immature things we can believe, and, and I just want to have this momentum going with us into the passage this morning, one of the most immature and foolish things we can believe is that our private sin only affects us. That's just not true. It will begin to affect others. We've learned that painfully as a church. So let's take heed soberly as we think on these applications. Again, apparently here, men and women were happy to go along with this chunking the social cues of the day that displayed the God-ordained structure of the home. And friends, the home is not a Western or social construct It is God's design, God's created order, and it is to illustrate the gospel. When couples are out of sync and then come to a church service, you know what happens? Well, it happens eventually they're going to distract people from God. They're going to distract people from what he wants them to see is Jesus Christ they can begin to act so independent of each other that their union looks like it's headed for disaster. It hurts the church because they're displaying themselves now in such a way that distorts Jesus Christ, dishonors him. And true believers around them are struck by that. There's something in a Christian that looks at it and goes, that doesn't look right. There's something off here. And these roles in marriage, when out of sync, draw people's attention off of God and onto those who are in conflict with each other. So how can men and women get back on track in honoring God at home and in the church so that people see more of Jesus? 1 Corinthians 11 teaches them to honor the order God has established from the beginning. Come to church in submission to Jesus Christ and in your established role so that God is honored and people are not looking at you, but looking towards God. All right, let's pick up there in verse 4. Chapter 11, verse 4. I'm only going to cover three verses today. Verses 4 through 6. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Amen. Let pause there. He's talking about his head, Christ. Number five, verse 5. And every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Speaking of her husband. It's just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved, she should cover her head. I'll stop there. I don't see head coverings this morning. I saw face coverings, but no head coverings this morning. I will not be talking about face coverings this morning. So chapter 11 verses 2 through 16 is a call mostly to couples, but there are truths here for everyone. To order their life, in the church in such a way to draw attention to God's glory and order. It's about headship more than a head covering. It's about honoring rather than dishonoring. So many back then and today make this life, even Christianity, about themselves. They don't stop to consider how that works out in life. And Paul highlights how social cues are another way to honor God and become all things to all people so that they will follow Christ. That's the theme. Becoming all things to all people so that others would see Christ. Today, maybe you need to stop thinking about doing your life way, uh, way less uh, in, your, in your design and, and in your strength and power and focus and consider that you were created with a unique design to honor your creator. That's what the Bible teaches. You were uniquely made to bring honor to your maker. And today, you and I need to think about how we order our private and public lives. We have to consider that our public display often reflects, not always, often what our private lives are like in rebellion against God. So last week's Central Point is this week's Central Point. God's people honor him. God's people honor him by upholding their created gender roles by upholding their created gender roles for a display of his glory, for a display of his glory. Point one from last week was remember God's order. Remember God's order was point one this week. Do not dishonor God's order. Do not dishonor God's order. Look at what these verses discuss. Men and women participating in a service, praying and prophesying, but adorning themselves in such a way that dishonored the Lord. That's what's happening, right? So, yes, this passage deals strongly with propriety and worship. Its theme of honor and shame in this chapter are unmistakable. But before I can get into that, I need to clarify something. I need to help clarify what's going on here, praying and prophesying. We can't just blow by this. I need, to take, uh, I need about eight minutes. Can you give me eight? Don't time it, okay? I may not make that date, that time. But I need about eight minutes to talk about praying and prophesying, mostly prophesying, okay? And there's much discussion and debate on that, and uh, I hope that you find me uh, generous and gracious uh, and consistent. Well, the praying most likely was where men and women would seek God audibly before the Lord uh, and before the church in prayer. Both men and women could speak, but only a Appointed and approved men could teach and preach in the service according to Paul's writing here in chapter 14 and 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. And we'll come back to that more in chapter 14. But let's move on to prophecy here. What is prophecy here? Well, prophesying throughout the Bible means the Holy Spirit would reveal a message of warning, edification, encouragement, and consolation to the church through a person that was uh, that was uh, uh, either in the office of prophet or not in the office of prophet, as he also did in the Old Testament. It wasn't necessarily someone who was always in the office. Sometimes the Holy Spirit would gift uniquely for unique moments. God in the past gave timely revelation for certain situations through men and women that were not preserved as Scripture. One key example were prophets, people who were not prophets were gifted with prophecy were the elders appointed by Moses that you read about in Exodus. They were not prophets, but the Holy Spirit uniquely gave them the word. In these early church days, God's, uh, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, did unique things, unique and special things to build the church. The New Testament canon of scriptures was not complete as we have it right now. They didn't have the complete canon for some time. Hence, uh, an authoritative and infallible prophetic ministry was needed to lay the foundation for the church in those early days, and so God gave apostles and prophets, but he also did miraculous things, and he spoke through unique people as he chose to, to do so. God gave the early church what she needed, and as we see here in chapters 11 through 14, the gifts were always given for the benefit of others unto Christ with clarity. Churches were to devote themselves to the doctrinal teachings and applications of the apostles and prophets. And sometimes prophecy came through recognized officials, as I mentioned a while ago, and sometimes a regular person would speak spontaneously, moved by the Holy Spirit. Prophecy is a revelation given to speak to God's people. And not all of these utterances, again, were put down in Scripture. He didn't, God didn't intend for that to happen. Yet while the canon of Scripture was being formed, he moved upon the people. And this was prophesied in the Old Testament. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 29, speaks of how God would pour out his gifts of the Holy Spirit on men and women. That, uh, it was said this would happen in the days after Messiah. Joel chapter 2, 28 and 29, and afterwards, I will pour out my Spirit on all people, Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So just to be clear, these were inerrant utterances given to individuals by the Holy Spirit. They weren't sloppy sayings like, the Lord told me to do such and such, as you hear people flippantly throw that around today. It wasn't like that. These were movements of the Holy Spirit miraculously among God's people. But as the New Testament teaches, prophecy was to be put to the test formally. You can find that in 1 John, 1 Thessalonians. If you were proven false, you could be put out of the church. 1 Corinthians 5 style, you could be removed. So not to get ahead of chapter 14, but yes, public praying and prophesying was to be submitted to the authority of the pastor elders of the church who, were, who are men only by God's design. So, beloved, the scriptures constitute our final, our source and final, our soul and final authority. And the scriptures say the foundation has been laid. God calls us to proclaim his word. We have a canon of scripture. Hebrews 1, and verse 1 chapter 1, 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers. Through the prophets, at many times and in various ways, but in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Ephesians 2:20 reveals the church's foundation was built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, the apostles, and the prophets. So the foundation of authoritative teaching and priorities has been laid. The office of apostle and prophet have ceased because the foundation has been laid. They did their job. And there's also good reason to understand that there are no more prophetic utterances needed because we have the scriptures. Paul never promises that all gifts would continue. He states in 1 Corinthians 13 to the church that they will no longer exist in the new creation. So we still have unexplainable things and unique wisdom given, But revelation, no. We have the scriptures. I do believe, this is just pastor speaking to you, I do believe in the leading and impressions given by the Holy Spirit. What some of my dear fellow believers call prophecy, I would understand with others that those are impressions and promptings of the Holy Spirit. There are timely words prompted by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean those are prophecies. If so, we should test them with the rules of church discipline, because if it is prophesying, it must be inerrant. So here at La Plata Baptist Church, we welcome into membership folks who hold different views on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but we want our members to know that we don't practice what some call prophecy at an open mic. It was so division here. It's not a matter of first or second level importance to the church here. So we trust God to gift us with what we need. He has given us his word as our rule for faith and practice. So what's happening here in that church, as best as I can tell and understand, were unique things, uh, unique promptings of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so praying and prophesying was happening. They didn't have the New Testament canon as we do, so the Lord was supplying them by His spirit, as, just as you can read throughout the book of Acts. Now, let's get back to the point. Like point number two is do not dishonor God's order. First subpoint, I don't know if I made it in eight minutes. We'll find out later. All right, first subpoint. It should be really clear as you look at verse four, men do not, men are not to dishonor God in their social cues. Men are not to dishonor God in their social cues. Paul addresses men for coming into the gathering here with their head covered. Uh, this communicates something we miss in our context. Now, scholars note that this custom showed either a submission to, to culture or to other pagan customs, so it just really showed a, a, a visual display of submission to uh, the pagan culture around them. We're not super sure because it's not, there's not more text on this. But scholars also note it showed how they were dressed. Again, it's just noting in the same pagan coverings the rest of the city was, it may have signaled that they were abdicating their roles to appease women. That also could be in view here. later on, he's going to talk to them about what's a shame unto man to look like. So they could be coming into the service, you know, just peacocking their social status. That that could be going on. Whether down from the head toga piece, uh, or they could merely be wishing their wives were in control. One, of the, one or two of those things are going on there. Either they're looking conforming to the pagan culture that shows they're not under Christ or they're abdicating their role. Either way, Paul says it's bringing shame on Christ. Some think they were, again, rejecting male distinctives. I'll let you look at the text when you go home. But Paul says here that dishonor the Lord for the head of the house to come in, come into church looking loyal to this world And no different than pagans. That's what's going on here. The man who did this shamed God because when he came into the church service looking like this, we know for certain he was drawing attention away from Christ and saying, everybody look at me. What he was doing drew great attention to himself. I mean, men don't do that today, do they? I'm being sarcastic. The social cue and message was received And men are not to send the wrong message of self-glory and rejection of their God-given role to image Christ, is Paul's point. And friends, isn't it something how we can send a message in how we dress? We can come to church, fellas, and draw attention away from Christ and on to ourselves. Uh, Let me ask you something. What if I came into the pulpit decked out in my favorite politician's flair? Would you be distracted a, a little bit? What if I came up here flaunting jewelry and the finest suits? Some of you would be like, I can't see you, Pastor Garrett. There's so much bling up there. I'm not sure. You may, you may love that. I don't know. You know. What if I came all decked out in my sports team regalia to preach the word? Just, I mean, face paint, everything. You'd be a little, it'd be, it'd be a little confusing. I mean, would it be appropriate for me to put on Laura's dress and wear it up here? What if I put on clothes that, that emphasized adolescence in some way up here? It would be distracting. What am I to do? I am to come to church to be non-distracting so that people aren't remembering me, but the Lord and his word. I've been asked many times, why do you stand behind a pulpit and don't move around? Because I don't want you thinking about me. I'm not saying it's wrong for those who do that. God bless the brothers who do that, do it well. But I'm trying my best to help you not get your eyes on me. My dress should be in keeping with honoring the gender God gave me in our context. Right here, living that out. My clothing and social cues should not dishonor my, my authority, Jesus Christ. It should draw attention It it should not draw attention to my family, but to Jesus. I have freedoms, but it doesn't necessarily help others for me to always seek ways to exercise those. So men, in order for us to do this, we have to come to church in the proper attitude. If our attitude is prideful, it's going to reflect. If our attitude is casual, it will reflect If our attitude is self-promotion, it then will also reflect the goal in our attire is not to distract from Jesus. So do my clothes, do my social cues distract from the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I being led by culture and by my family in such a way that God is not witnessed unto by my actions? Am I trying to gain another female's attention? Friends, all of this distracts from Jesus at a church service. Some of you know these, you've seen this happen in church where people have come in in such a display. Well, they got in the car, boy, did you see such and such? You know that's what they said. We don't want that happening. We want to come in and, we want it, to be honest, to be somewhat forgettable in those regards. Husbands, do people look at your wife and think, poor woman, her husband sure is a handful. He pretty selfish and self-promoting guy. Gentlemen, don't we want them to say, I see Jesus in him. Look at how he consistently leads by example, dignified but not vain. Look at how, the, how he honors the Lord and honors his wife or even young men here, honors his mother. Shouldn't the way we carry ourselves look different than the world's assemblies around us? so not to distract from Jesus. Young men, single men, boys who claim to know Christ, I want to speak to you. You too should come to church ready. You should be setting a good example of non-distraction. That means in your dress. That means turn off electronic devices. You will not die. You won't die, I promise. Do that on your time. Strive by grace to focus on the Lord so others will be encouraged to do so too. So what I'm saying to the the boys and young men, is, you man up too. It's not just married men who are called to do that. You man up. Rise up. Boys who are here and listening online, carry yourself in church in such a way that no one is distracted. Challenge yourself to love others by not being a distraction. Getting up a lot, talking during church is not loving to others. So what I'm telling you to do is what Paul has been telling the church to do. Consider others. Grow up into manhood. We do not need any more long-term boys in our country and in this world. Grow up into manhood. Selflessness. We need selfless men Anyone can be immature the rest of their lives. By grace, pursue biblical manhood that follows Christ's example of love. Do it to the glory of God. Husbands, I'm going to say the same thing to you that I will to the women. We are an extension of someone else. First of all, we represent the Lord. Church members, that's true across the board. If you're a member of a church, you are also an extension of Christ and his people. So, gentlemen, we are the heads also of our home if we are husbands and fathers. It's not just about our self-expression. That's the Corinthian spirit. That's the spirit of this world. Let's remember we represent Jesus and our families. Consider Jesus and others more than you consider yourselves. Do it in how you come to church. Do it in how you live your life so that people remember your witness to Jesus Christ. Second subpoint women. Women are not to dishonor God in their social cues. Women are not to dishonor God in their social cues. So look at the women here. He's talking about mostly, particularly wives. Again, the women could speak publicly in the assembly. Uh, 2, under the authority of the church elders, some trying to make a passing comment that this was women only out in public, but the context from here to chapter 14 shows they were in a church service. So chapter 14, Paul will forbid them from speaking. Speaking what? He tells them questions, questions they should reserve from home, disrupting and causing conflict in the service. But in 1 Timothy 2, again, Paul will forbid women from serving as or functioning as elders. Not just serving as elders, but functioning. Why? Why? Same theological principle he lays down here. There is a chain of authority in the local church as there is in the home, established by God from the beginning, and he wants that upheld. You can take it to him in prayer, but that is the design he has laid down. And here we can see women could pray in the gathering, be used of the Holy Spirit to, to speak revelation of warning, encouragement, and hope under the authority of the ordained leadership of the church, If you read it here, accord with chapter 14, again, unique circumstances and gifts by the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned to you earlier. And to be clear as a pastor, I do think that there are women and churches who violate this today. The elders in this church are against this practice of functioning as an elder or being elected to elder pastor because Paul discusses teaching this. uh, He makes it clear here in uh, Corinthians and in 1 chap- in, in Timothy. So, uh, just to be clear, he's setting forth that uh, the, the praying and prophesying were, uh, were allowed, but not the exercise of authority. And today in our own services here at La Plata Baptist Church, women read the scriptures, scriptures the prophetic recorded word, uh, as permitted here in 1 Corinthians 11. They do not teach and exercise shepherding authority in the assembly. In our Sunday night prayer time, they also participate in prayer. And we understand that not to be out of step with 1 Corinthians 11 through 14. So Paul teaches here in verse 5, look back at the text. Women, wives in the service with their heads uncovered. Well, they sent a different social cue than the men. It appears to have signaled a couple of different things in their culture. Again, I, I understand this to be uh, a method. The head covering was a method, not the principle. Headship is the principle. She was, number one, it was considered she was acting like, uh, like the liberated pagan women who despised God's order. So there's ancient uh, uh, text and there's uh, old artifacts that, that display that. Or number or two she was signal it could be also according to older resources she was signal signaling that she was available to other men. So remember from the context again headship head coverings the method headship is the principle and coming to the church gathering like this in that day she was as bad as the man in verse four. She was drawing attention to herself because people, In that culture, were distracted by this. The head covering is still present, by the way, in many parts of the world. So I want to be clear: I have nothing humorous to say about head coverings. I'm not making fun of them whatsoever. In fact, they're very they're in many cultures today. They're still upheld and practiced in a dignified way. I want to be clear: I'm not mocking that, and neither should you. You shouldn't mock that culture's practice of that. Uh, It's it's seen as a garment of honor of submission, of propriety. It's not universal, though, and it's not plain from the Bible that women everywhere are to adopt this custom. So Paul is telling the women here to do what is necessary to win people to, the Christ, to Christ and not distract from Him. And here, specifically, to be very particular, it's by not coming to church in any way that displays they're separated from their husband and taking the lead. To be uncovered was a sign, as Paul says, of disgrace to her head, her husband. So God never calls husbands and wives uh, to dishonor one another. Yet sadly, through words, gestures, clothing, social cues, people do this to each other and others can see it for what it is. So we may not be having the head covering issue in our culture today, but there are other ways that couples, people involved in marriage can dishonor each other. This was just one way in that culture. And it's sad. It made me, made me think, remember when TV, when TV shows had husbands and wives that honored each other and how they spoke to each other? Remember that? It's hard to find that today. Anyway, back to verse 5. Paul speaks in in hyperbolic terms here when he equates it to uh, sh- the, the uh, uncovered head to a shaving it's like, it's like signaling your head was shaved he says a shaved head on a woman back then according to ancient tradition was a sign of shame for adultery It also noted, uh, it, noted, it was noted that it could have been a sign of rejection of gender roles so we often think gender roles and dispute are something new they're, they're ancient and old. Verse 6. You can read verse 6 like this. Look at verse 6. If you're going to go for the liberation and promotion of self, then go all in. Shave your head. That's a disgrace among you. If this is a disgrace, then you should, give, you should then give a different signal and wear the head covering, uphold propriety, modesty, and dignity. Paul's saying, Do not dare take away from Jesus Christ and your actions towards your husband. When you act like that towards your husband, you're dishonoring the Lord. Play your role so people are not remembering your peacocking in the church, but they're remembering your praise of God. It's not just men who can peacock, it's women too. They come in prideful and arrogantly, distracting, dishonoring their husband, and distracting from Jesus Christ. So wives, let me speak to you for a minute. Your husband could be a discouragement. That's true, but so can you. So I'm calling you by the word to do your part unto Jesus to honor your husband as you would love for him to honor you. In our culture, like Like others, a head covering may actually distract some. However, the principle of headship is to be upheld. The issues behind the the shaving of heads and lack of head covering started way before these women came to church. That that problem started before they got in the car and came to church. They didn't have cars back then, by the way. The problems were just, it was started back at home before they ever got there. And ladies, just like the men, it starts it in your home It starts in your heart. Do you consider your husband and the role that he has before God Almighty? Do you stop and consider the role God has assigned him? Do you ask God to to fill you with love for your husband so that Jesus is magnified? Are you striving to dress in a way that is in consideration of him and of others? Do you want others to notice how great you look or how much they can see Jesus Christ? I'm not going to give you the particulars of how to work that out. You have to go home and figure that out for yourselves. You talk to godly people. But when you and I, when we all start there, we begin to discern better about how we dress. We begin in our homes with how we are doing in our relationships. Single ladies, single ladies, if at all possible, and if you're still able to, honor your father as best as you can. Honor those, uh, those members around you in worship by doing all you can not to seek self-glory. Value propriety. Value modesty. Care for your fellow church members. Don't dress for church like the world, like the world does going to the club. That's not, that's not the right standard. Dress for church in such a way that men are not distracted and women not offended. Take a loss of freedoms as Jesus did so that others are helped. You know, one day when you're an older woman, you will be glad you did. Let me talk to parents for a moment. Parents, are we passing down propriety? Are we passing down propriety as worship to our children? Uh, Children do not know instinctively how to carry themselves, (laughs) most of the time. I have family that work in education, friends that work in education, people that work in social work all around, and I can't tell you the sad stories of neglect that I hear about. Just neglect of children, where parents have abandoned their job and You know, the 11-year-old is trying to dress the 6-year-old for school and to get him on the bus because parents have checked out. Parents, we've got to teach more than just put on clothes. We need to talk about honoring God in all we say and do. How to dress themselves, how to carry themselves, how to uphold their, their gender properly with godly training. We live in a silly day. You hear conversations where parents are letting little children change their gender. And then later on, that child grows up and goes, Boy, I wish they hadn't given me that therapy. I wish they had not done that to me. I wish they would have said, I'm the parent, you're the child. Parents, we've got to instill in them God's vision and gift of gender. Teach them to adorn themselves properly. So, parents, are you talking about this often? Are you modeling this to your children? Boy, I didn't like it when my parents made me get dressed for Sunday. And we had to really dress up for church back then. I mean, I'm not tell, I can't go into too much of it, but there was a lot of effort. <laughs> but I appreciated my, my father, who worked like a dog all week, um, he modeled what it was to put his best foot forward on Sunday, not to be distracting, not to look proud, but to soberly go to church. I'm not making a commentary on clothing. I just remember the spirit, that—that that, that what I was taught in heart. I have nothing to say to anyone about that right now, anything like that at all. Just, I appreciate my parents teaching me that. Friends in Scripture, uh, this thoughtfulness towards others and pulling down of selfish demands is seen perfectly in Jesus Christ, God, the son who gave up the comforts and joys of heaven to come serve us. Our, our little adjustments don't compare at all with Jesus Christ and what he did for us. He gave up the glories and comforts of heaven to serve us. He submitted himself to the father. Father God, and honored him perfectly in his life, never dishonored the Father. And he did it all the way to Calvary. You see, in the gospel, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we see God himself came in flesh, lived the perfect life of obedience to fulfill all righteousness that you and I never did, and offered himself on the cross to pay for the sins of any and all who repented and believed. That's why he went to the cross, was to atone for my sin, your sin, any and all who repent and believe in him. And God raised him from the dead to show he accepted payment from Jesus, that his payment was satisfactory for our sins. The Bible calls us to repent of our sins, take God's side against our sin, and trust in Jesus Christ alone and be saved. Do you want to be forgiven of your sins, forgiven of all the ways we have failed to image God forgiven all the ways we've lived so selfishly and promoted ourselves to no end with great shame, turn to Christ. Be forgiven and cleanse the ways we've walked arrogantly before God and dishonored others and saw only ourselves. Turn to Christ and be forgiven and follow him. Follow his way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, Jesus is the life. If He is our Savior. He is our life. Our gender roles and behavior are in service and display of him, not ourselves. First, Jesus Christ. What higher purpose could we ask for in being male and female than to picture Jesus Christ? Let's close in prayer. Our great God and Father, we praise you for the gift of gender Lord, for opportunities, Lord, to consider others better, better than ourselves. Lord, we pray for the men of this church, that we would honor Christ, that we would honor the women of this church. We pray for the, the, the women, the ladies of this church, Lord, that, and the wives, that they would honor Christ and their husband, and, Lord, even their, uh, their uh, fathers, Lord. And, God, we pray that they would uh, we would all be conforming to picture Jesus Christ more and more. Do this, Lord, to display yourself. Make us a strange and peculiar people. Lord, fulfilling our roles, Lord, exercising the authority you gave us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.